above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with us, blessed So a college professor gave his class a chance to evaluate his course. One student said he liked it very much, though the teacher put too much emphasis on learning. Our subject today is Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. And the aim of the class is to consider Jewish claims and God's counterclaims. So if somebody first go to James chapter 2, before we head into Romans, James chapter 2, verses 8 through 13, if you could read that. And one of the things I want you to notice is uh, the courtroom concept that we have in Scripture. Chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you will become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And then 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. 1 John 2, 1 through 6. My little children, I am writing these things that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as he walked. So, these last two passages deal heavily with the Christian emphasis, though um, at least in James, you might get the impression that there are some Jewish readers, at least Jewish Christian readers who have that background because he talks about the royal law and uh, things dealing back to the idea that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. So this theme of um, living God's way is 
within Scripture or throughout Scripture. And Paul in Romans is, again, still dealing with this issue uh, as we deal with chapters one through three. So we went and hit the Gentiles uh, throughout time, throughout the history of man, and we realize, hey, they are not without they are not without an excuse. They don't have an excuse. They, though they were never under the law of Moses, they do have a law that God looks at and uh, judges appropriately and says, "Hey, you are sinners." And now we're dealing with the Jews from Paul's point of view, and he's trying to stress, "Hey, you don't have a right to stand on the law of Moses." and claim any different than the reality that you are lost just like the Gentiles. But there were Jews. Now, you, the argument could be the Jewish nation or certain Jews who said, hey, we're, we have Abraham to look to. We are the chosen people. We are multi-blessed. Therefore, by being a Jew, we're just fine and perfect. Uh, we're, we're maybe not sinless. I don't know how they might have thought that, but we're just fine. And, but you also have the concept of Judaizers. Now, I haven't used that term yet here in Romans, though I have used it in classes previous. Does, can anybody give me a definition of the term Judaizer? Okay. All right. Even more specifically, it is a Jew, but it's a Jewish Christian. Has how they would how it's, how it's defined. A Jewish Christian who says that the law of Moses carries equal weight and standard with the new covenant of Christ. And we'll get to uh, uh, a specific situation here today proving the type of people these are so uh but that's the that's not a biblical definition it's a definition that is used by people who who uh, who study the scripture and that's the term to define the type of people jews who become christians that are also upholding the law and counting it equal with the new covenant under Christ. So whether it, this passage dealing with the hypocrisy of the Jews themselves, um, claiming we, we're all that, or it's Jewish Christians who are doing the same thing, um, their claim does not have any way to stand on because God's going to give a counterclaim. So let's read verses 17 through 24. Bill, you did so well in those last two. Does anybody else want to read strongly? Romans chapter 2, 17 through 24. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know this, if you know his will and what is superior because you are concerned about the law 
means that you break up the blinds, a light for those who are in the dark, and instruction the foolish, a teaching to the children, because you have in the law of embodiment and knowledge of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others do not do you not teach yourself? You who preach against the steal, do you steal? You who said that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God named blasphemed. Thank you, Asper. Very good read. So, uh, the Jews, again, one of those two categories, but re regardless, um, in comparison to the Gentiles, this is the argument. Nobody has a thing to stand on. So it can be, uh, but it could be either culturally and traditionally Jews who are now Christians, or Paul is just referring to the Jewish nation itself. At this point in our study of Romans, I'll go, if you want to go either way, I'm willing to go either way. So, verse 17, what is the name they stand by? We are what? The Jews, they're, are they proud of that? Or are they sheepish about that? Proud. They're proud. proud yeah. From our background as a citizen of the United States, are we proud to be a citizen of the United States? There is a lot of uh, uh, blessings from being a citizen of the United States. Well, they see it from their angle. We are Jews. We are from the Jewish nation. We are uh, the remnant that came back from Babylon. We're the ones who chose to continue to follow God and his teachings. And they have a document. What document do they have? Verse 17. The law of Moses. I mean... If the United States Constitution was given to us by the hand of God on tablets from a mountain and brought down to the people, uh, could we think more highly of the U.S. Constitution than that? We consider God given us the U.S. Constitution given to us by man. But greater than that... Is the law of Moses. This is an impact that's perfect. And as far as the U.S. Constitution goes, in the realm of history, uh, how does it stack up in many governments as something to, eh, or something that a lot of people want to come here and have and be a part of? They admire it. Uh, for being human beings who helped develop that in their background, they didn't do a bad job, did they? 
And they, in a relatively short time. Relatively short time. That's right. Uh, and look at how our nation has prospered in its short time compared to other nations around the world who've had a greater time experience. Uh, there's something good. Uh, and we attribute it to following God, don't we? At least we did. Uh, yeah, it's worthy to laugh at. But what is the law of Moses? Is it better than the U.S. Constitution? In the sense that where did it come from? Directly. Yeah, through angels, according to Hebrews, but angels are God's messengers. So in a sideways point of view, it came from God. Uh, so, but the law of Moses in verse 17 is great. I mean, um, this might be the argument against the idea that this is not Jewish Christians, but Jews. But then you got to go back to some other points we find in Acts and Galatians that these Jewish Christians were actually lifting up the law of Moses as equal now with the covenant of Christ. It seems to me that the Jews kind of get a bad deal on this. They've been taught that law for years and centuries, generations, and now all of a sudden, no. So uh, what we do find out in Acts is, you know, Paul was, you see him keeping up with the things of the Jewish nation as far as vows and culturally, the importance of that among the people, using that as an example. He wasn't trying to trash it. That being said, uh, he wasn't making it equal with the new covenant under Christ anymore. And it seems like that's what the Jews, after the fact, were trying to do. So you see in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 and verse through 5, they wanted to make aspects of the law of Moses uh, equal with, in that context, yeah. But that being said, they were entrenched in it, weren't they? They were entrenched. And it's hard to get out of that mindset and I hope that as Paul is dealing with it in Galatians, as the other apostles uh, work through it, you know, Barnabas was even led astray by the, uh, the sect of the Pharisees or uh, the, um, as, as talked about in Gen Galatians chapter two. We'll get to that in a minute and use the actual term. Um, it was a legitimate question mark. Even among those like Peter who were persuaded where he shouldn't have been. I think in some aspects it still is. Well, yes. So the today's Jews question whether they are the 
And today's Jews will say that we are, as Christians, at least the Orthodox Jews, idol worshipers because we believe in Jesus who died on the cross. So they're so entrenched that now they have created new concepts that might not be any different than the first century, but the vehemence against Christianity uh, is great. And so, uh, but there are those Jews who have accepted Christ. And if you go over to Jerusalem, you know, they still follow certain traditions, but they don't impose it. And so it's more of a traditional context, not elevated to the same standard as Christ. So it, but to be fair, it's challenged. And I think that's what Paul is dealing with. All these years, he's been challenged with this very same thing. But one of the things he's challenged with is they have the law of Moses or they come from that and they think themselves superior, but also not in the same boat as Gentiles. Now, Put that in the context of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, which seems to be what's going on. The Jewish Christians had been kicked out of Rome by Caesar. The Gentile Christians, uh, that's when Paul met Apollos and all them, if I got the names right. And they were kicked out of Rome, all Jews, Jewish Christians, Jews, anybody who had a Jewish background. Gentiles who are Christians, got their place and they were building up the church and maybe a little bit different cultural context. And now the Jewish Christians are allowed to come back. This may be the reason for the disunity that Paul is dealing with, even though he hadn't met with the Romans yet, but he may have through visitations with other people who came from there, gain knowledge, if not directly from Christ. So here's the Jews again. They have a great God. Chapter two, verse 17. Now we can compare that to all these false gods. Our God is great. And they know his will. They know his excellence of his will. And they should be a sure teacher. Verses 18 through 20. Somebody reread that. Chapter two of Romans. If you know his will, what well, is superior because you are instructed by the law. If you are convinced that you are a guide to the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. All right, so their basis of their, their argument, again, whether it's the Jewish person or the Jewish Christian with that background, uh, well, you should be about teaching the blind and the ignorant. You should be about teaching light as opposed to darkness. You should be teaching the Gentiles. You should be teaching the children because you have the law of Moses. And here comes the counterclaim. Verses 21 through 29. Just read for me verses 21 through 22. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach? 
teach yourself. You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? All right. They are not doing what? According to God's counterclaim. And we call that what? Sin. It is a sin, but hip, hip, hypocrisy. hypocrisy. Um, they, they, they look good on the outside, but inwardly they're just, uh, they're, not wanting, they're not following God. Uh, because they claim one thing, but their actions show that they're not legitimately without cause for concern. They're talking the talk, but they're not walking. Yeah. Now that could that go to any Jew? It could go to any Christian. <laughs> it sure could, couldn't it? Um, but we are, uh, uh, we'll get to that teaching here in a little bit. Um, yeah, that could go. For, so, how do you how do you uh, how do you commit adultery if you've never committed adultery? Maybe the idea is it doesn't matter if you commit adultery. It doesn't matter if you murder. If you have sinned in any place. What foot do you have to stand on? Nothing. Nothing. Does that matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile? It doesn't matter at all, does it? But if you have the law of Moses and God is your God and you should be a teacher of all that, surely you have a better standing. Very good. Good answer. Um, all sin separates people from God. It doesn't matter what your background is. Does that make sense? And, I, and, and now Paul can legitimately in this context be using the Jewish nation as a whole and basing his argument whether you're Jew or Gentile. I can go with that. And, uh, but either way, uh, even for Christians, do we have a foot to stand on by ourselves? No, we really don't. We're, we are. That's it. So I have a friend um, who was a practicing Jew. Uh huh. And she would have said every one of these things to me at one point in time or another. Okay. And about who she is and where she comes how from, and more elevated. Oh. She is as a Jew than I was as a Christian. Mm -hmm. And we got into some pretty deep disagreements. And one day she called me and said, I'm watching a movie about Peter. I want you to stay on the phone in case I have a question. <laughs> 
And at the end of the movie, she said, that's a true story. I said, I know. <laughs> but what made you say that? And she said, because it was women that found the two empty. From her perspective. And that surprised me a lot. And that was her answer. She did become a messianic Jew. She did become, mm -hmm. so she probably looked at life a little differently after that, huh? Yeah. And her, and her, her nasty attitude was gone. <laughs> she didn't look down on you or, nor belittle you or anymore anyone or anyone else. Yeah, and uh, we can go back to the whole concept about what Peter went through in Cornelius. That must have been uh, with God. Without God's inter intervention, that that was a difficult thing. Um, so they seem to have some sort of elevated conscience about it. Uh, but all separates us from God. So go to Acts fifteen. We already touched on this briefly, but read verses one through five. This is where, uh, where the definition of Judaizer comes from. One through five. This is one of the places. Certain people came down from Judah to Antioch and were teaching the believers Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostle and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they how the Gentiles had been converted. The news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees... Some, of the, some of the what? Some of the believers... Believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and are required to keep the law of Moses. Okay. So, um, for those who love to, to study this passage, um, it sure is easy to think we know who the Pharisees are, right? Who are they from the Gospels? All right. They were rulers. Uh, they were scholars. Uh, they carried a specific, a certain kind of a philosophy uh, that was more realistic than the Sadducees. Uh, and would some of them, like Paul, have been converted? Presumably, like the Levites and the priests and others. Uh, and as you say, 
Is it possible for them to carry some of their philosophy over with them into Christianity? Uh, we get that even from 1 John, which is dealing with, as we've studied in the past, docetism, Gnosticism. They're carrying that philosophy over. So it's not unreasonable that from another angle, somebody else could be carrying a philosophy over. So it is believed from the definition of Judaizer that these aren't Jewish Pharisees, but they're converted Pharisees from Judaism into Christianity, but are still carrying the philosophies. They're not arguing against baptism into Christ for the forgiveness of sins, but they're claiming that you must also keep the law of Moses, the dietary commandments that go along with it. And the key thing that they talk about to be saved. Now, if I want to keep the dietary laws of Moses, is that something we should be arguing about just from a personal thing? If you want to eat fish or not eat fish, should that be, or, or have bacon. bacon? Yeah, you know, that's, but if I make it uh, to where you must do it this way, at least in the context of the covenant of Christ, uh, as far as food, specifically food, uh, to be saved, what have I done? I've, 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 uh, yes, and that's a, that's a big no-no, isn't it? That's a really big no-no. Galatians chapter one. Now, is it wrong if I don't want to eat pork? No, it's not wrong. And then, then you, that, that goes into Galatians two. Uh, is where I bring this connection together. Remember, it was the, what was the terminology used? Party of the Pharisees or something in Acts? So let's see what Paul, Peter, Paul says in uh, Galatians 2, 11 through 14, please. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you can tell the Gentiles to live like Jews? All right, who would be who would be big into the circumcision? Who was big into the circumcision? The Jews. So if if the Jews, those Jews became Christians and all those Jews were circumcised because if they weren't, they were to be then you know that removed. Now they're becoming Christians. And if they're carrying some of the philosophies of pharisaical thinking, 
And here we, it's called the party of the circumcision. Now, if a Jew came up to Peter, who was following the law of Moses and not Christianity, well, I guess you can make an argument that he might be concerned, but I really don't, after, after his beatings and things like that, I don't really think that that's gonna be a, a problem for him to stand up. But those closest to him, even an apostle, one cent, could still struggle. And who might understand it more as far as the philosophy, Paul or Peter? At least from their backgrounds. Probably Paul. So he's, he's hypersensitive, and rightly so. And um, even Barnabas, who was a Levite, according to Acts, was pulled in that direction. So they seem to have some weight. In our time today, do certain groups of Christians carry some weight and have influence on others? I'm not, they do. And is that weight necessarily God-driven or man-driven? Most of the time, it's man-driven. Most of the time. And it's really infected our culture, hasn't it? So... Is it illogical to think that this could be a possibility? It's not illogical, but uh, it's worthy to be uh, studied. So back to Romans chapter two, verses 23 through 24, and we're almost done, guys, since my battery is low. Two, 23 through 24, somebody read that. Let's look at another counterclaim by God, and it won't be as long as this, the, the last one. You who boast in the law, you dishonor God by breaking the law. As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. All right, and we can go back to various examples, one being 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14, depending on your version. But that's dealing with when David killed Bathsheba's husband, had the adultery, had the affair, married her, and then the first child was to be taken away. And part of the argument that Nathan was teaching David is you have caused, depending on the version you're reading, uh, the, the, the people around you to blaspheme because of your behavior. And... Um, and the Jew who behaves in such a way, thinking themselves elevated, like Gail so eloquently experienced in her time frame, they had no right to be elevated, though they were, because they were living the life just like Gentiles, though they thought they had a foot to stand on. So they dishonor God, and they create opportunities for blasphemy. Isn't that what the Christian does who makes their sins so well known in public that everybody goes, what kind of people are they? Do they really follow God? Or are they just, as we talked about Sunday, hypocrites? 
that in and of itself is a type of blasphemy. And it can be caused by our behavior or by our open sinning behavior, not saying that none of us aren't sinners, but should we be living the lifestyle that God wants us to, uh, that God doesn't want us to live? No. So we must be aware. And then, of course, verses 25 through 29. I'll read that. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Not physically, right? Spiritually. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, talking about Gentiles, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the, the law will condemn you who have, who have the written code. And circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who mere, is merely one outwardly. Could you have said that to that lady? Nor is circumcision outward and physical. That is only outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. If. He has the right heart. So heartless religion is God's counterclaim. And we'll, we'll finish up close to Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. Would somebody read that? And this is Paul talking to Christians. A new creation. And in Christ, that would be how we are a new creation. Um, so how does this relate to Paul's um, bookmarked argument that um, in Romans 1, 5 and 16, 26, that we are that he was teaching in obedience of faith? Paul in chapter one and chapter 16, kind of like bookmarks, book, uh, bookends, talks about, says a certain phrase. And his point was that he teach obedience of faith. Which faith would he be referring to? Christianity. So the context is dealing with overall how are we to be obedient to in faith or to Christ? You can say obedience of faith or faith's obedience. We are to live a life that coincides with the teachings of Christ as Christians. 
We are not better than anyone else. We need Christ just like everyone else. 